Thanks, everybody, for coming. Um, my husband was here for the first service. He's not here, but I still want to honor him. We should do that, right, even when our spouses are gone. And I just want to tell you men out there, if you're looking for the man to beat, I told first service, if you want father of the year and husband of the year, he's the one you got to beat, okay? He's amazing, and I'm just so thankful for him, and I wouldn't be here without him. So are you guys ready to hear the word? It's a doozy, so you better get ready, okay? Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Robin Andrude, and I found out this week my other name is Fireball. <laughs> God gave me this message about 40 days ago. He spoke to me, and um, it was burning in my heart, and I told Dana last week, you know, about this week. I said, I feel like there's a fireball inside of me just ready to come out. And, um, and then I met somebody this, this week. Just to make a long story short, I walked in the room, and, and he called me fireball. There's fireball! And I was like, I was like, God, you are so good. You know. <laughs> so get ready. There's going to be a fireball coming at you today. So I wanted to pray before we get started because even though God has fire for you and wants to help bring course correction in your life, you can only get it if you receive it. Does that make sense? Like you have to turn your receiver on. And so I want to pray, and I want everybody at home, too, because I know I've done it. I've been trying to make pancakes and listening to the word, and I just don't receive the same way I do when I'm halfway distracted. And I want us to all take a moment and set aside the things that were going on this morning before you got here or the things that are actually around you at home and sit down and set those things aside and focus and engage your spirit to receive things of the spirit because the spirit is different than the natural mind and God wants to share spiritual truth today but you have to receive it with your spirit so Lord we just come before you and we just engage we turn on our our spiritual receivers today we just purpose to hear your voice. We don't come here to hear the words of a woman. We come to hear and experience the living God. So, Lord, I just pray that you would anoint my lips today with fire from your altar and that you would speak to the body of Christ what's on the heart of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was telling you about 40 days ago now, God had put uh, a word on my heart, and he's been growing it since that time. And it, his heart is really about course correction right now. He wants to correct us in the path that we're on and bring us to a new way. 
He has new things. You know, God's never dry, right? He always has fresh things for us. And he wants to breathe fresh things on us right now. But have, how many of you have had the Holy Spirit bring course correction to your life as an individual? It's usually not a pleasant experience. Although those of us who've grown in maturity, we embrace it because we know in the end it's actually a good thing. But the thing that hurts is our flesh. And when I say flesh, it's a very Christianese term, but it's in the Bible. Flesh represents the part of us that's not born again. It's that part of us that as we grow in maturity needs to actually come in line with what our spirit, our born-again spirit knows. That's our mind, our will, our emotions, our physical body. The physical body and our mind is not born again, but it can be renewed. And that's the part that the Holy Spirit's interested in. He wants to burn that thing up. He wants that to look like the Spirit and for the Spirit to dominate us. And so he has course correction for us today. And just like in the natural, the Spirit likes to mirror things. So like New Year's, for example, we'll look back on the year, we'll see where our flesh failed, we'll start thinking about a resolution and start thinking about how we can use our discipline to bring our flesh back in line. And 80% of the time, we fail, according to Forbes magazine. Okay? It might be worse than that. But how do many of you know that God's ways are better? God's ways are higher. And how many know that right now, it's God's new year? He has a different calendar than we do. The Jewish calendar, that's God's calendar. And right now, it's his new year. And he is all about times and seasons, if you don't know that about your daddy. It's so neat. He started talking to me about all this before I, I just found out this week that it's his new year. And he started talking to me about that and what that signifies. Rosh Hashanah started on September 17th, or I'm sorry, 19th this year. And that is the Feast of Trumpets. That's when they blow the shofar. And during that time, he calls people to wake up from their spiritual slumber. It's stirring the Jews to mend their ways and repent. The shofar blast calls out and says, Sleepers, awake from your slumber, examine your ways, repent, and remember your creator. The first 10 days of the year is when God calls his people to reflect on the last year. Fast, and pray, repent, ask for forgiveness, and forgive others. This is a time that starts with Rosh Hashanah and climaxes with Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement. For the Jewish people, on the day of atonement, the high priest sacrifices a spotless 
goat or offering and brings that sacrifice into the holy of holies. That's where God would reside on behalf of all the Jewish people to attain forgiveness of sins. Instead of wearing his ornate clothing, as was custom, he would wear plain white garments after washing in what they called living water. His usual garments signified his status as God's appointed mediator between God and man. He was set apart from the rest of the Jewish people. But on this day, he would set all of that status aside. He would humble himself before God. And he would identify with all of the Jewish people and pray for the world to be blessed in the presence of God. His white linens would signify purity and holiness. The symboling and foreshadowing of the coming Messiah is hopefully not lost on you. Jesus set aside his divinity to become a man, to identify with all of our weaknesses, all of our temptations. And as he grew, as a young man, he studied the word of God, became baptized in water and the Holy Spirit. And then he gave himself as a perfect, sinless sacrifice on behalf of all who would believe in him. And this sacrifice would not just cleanse sins for one year, but for all time. And God is calling his children to a time of remembrance that he is faithful to cleanse his people from their sins for those who will repent. And he's setting in place course correction for the year through his Holy Spirit and by his grace. It's his grace that gives us power for change and mastering the flesh. Yom Kippur begins tonight at sundown. Isn't that so cool? God would figure all that out. And there's one emphasized theme throughout all the world and all of the synagogues starting tonight. And the heart of the Father today is for the Bride of Christ to focus on this one theme as well. And it's unity. The Lord, he's so fun. I love meeting with him every morning. It's like an adventure. And he brought me to a Jewish website as I was studying more about this holiday. And he brought me to a video from 1982. It was my birth year. It's a good one. And it's an old, it was a rabbi who was teaching all the other rabbis about the significance of Yom Kippur and what they should be teaching on during that time. And it so touched my heart, and it fell in line perfectly with what the Holy Spirit was telling me. And I wanted to share it with you. It said, 
he said, Yom Kippur is unique from other festivals called the one day of the year because this is the one day of the year that one Jew enters the holy of holy as the emissary of the entire Jewish people and he prays for blessing for the entire world. This underscores how every single Jew is truly united, more than every Jew loving his fellow, but this unity is a much stronger connection in which your fellow is truly like you until they become one. On this day, they declare that there are no differences between Jews. They all stand united on this day of Yom Kippur in the presence of the one God. This is after pleading for forgiveness, for interfering in the affairs of others, and all apologies that ought to be said. And then there's a focus on teaching about loving your fellow as yourself. And then we're expected to achieve more, to go from loving one's fellow to uniting with them. Isn't that so beautiful? Yet it seems so impossible. And it is impossible without God. But it is God's heart right now. And it is what he is going to do in his church, in his body, is unite us. But are you going to join him where he's going? Or are you going to let your opinions keep you out of the will of God? This morning, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal God's heart for unity in the body of Christ, the power of unity, how and why it's being heavily resisted by the enemy right now, and why we must contend for the precious unity of the church. Before I can even tell you what God really put on my heart for today, I have to lay a foundation. I need you to understand the stages of our relationship with God. In a book called The Agenda of Angels, what the holy ones want you to know about the next move of God by Dr. Kevin Zadai, he talked about three phases of this relationship with God that individuals and the body of Christ must go through. Many profess that Jesus is the Son of God and call him Lord, but have not walked in a relationship with God before. And as we are praying for God to move on the earth, we must realize that it starts with us entering into a deeper relationship with him and obedience. God is calling his people into that deeper relationship now. Kevin Zadai does a beautiful job of illustrating in words what I have been seeing in myself and in the rest of the church 
this beautiful relationship and the stages of it. The first stage is a stage of revelation. In this stage, we begin to see the importance of the word and the spirit. And we eagerly pursue both every day. And you begin to start to see and understand the mysteries of God. Your mind begins to be transformed, your understanding enlightened, and the Holy Spirit begins to take from the Father and gives to the yielded believer. This is when praying in the Spirit is really important. Some of you here or even watching online may have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about praying in the Spirit. It's praying in tongues, and it is scriptural. And it is something that every believer can walk in. And if I did not have it, I would feel crippled. And so seek it and talk to your pastors if you don't know about it or you don't walk in it yet. It is for everyone, and it's the way the Holy Spirit can pray through you. And it's spending time praying in tongues that you begin to grow in maturity. You get renewed strength, and your trust in God will grow. You develop absolute confidence in the Lord. This is a time when holy faith grows up in you that can't be destroyed. And as this process unfolds, you begin to walk in holy awe and reverence for God. The Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. The next stage is called visitation. And this is where I see many individuals and the church corporately entering into next. But we've been held up because the key to this stage is unity. And we can't grow further until we achieve it. And that is why the enemy is working overtime to divide to bring up differences that we can see amongst each other. Are you wearing a mask or are you not wearing a mask? Are they a Democrat or a Republican? All these different things brought up for us to see with our natural eye the differences we have between each other so that we feel like we can't find unity. But God sees past all of these petty things and he loves with the love of the Father, which cuts past. It sees none of it. It's insignificant to him. Insignificant. It's just a distraction. We need to be able to see with our spiritual eyes the love that, that God has for each one, every person that he puts in front of you, and especially for your family that you're called to and see our one call 
Our one call is to serve God, to love him, and love people. In visitation, the person actually begins to think more of others than themselves. And this is brought on by, it's inspired by the fear of the Lord. Unity and selflessness begin to rule and reign. Supernatural provision and angelic ministry begins. And individual visitation brings change to the individual believer. And they grow in maturity, and they begin to judge themselves rightly. You'll begin to walk in holiness, be set apart from the world, and possess understanding of the holiness of God. And this creates a domino effect in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. As Kevin Zadai started talking about this, he also gave two warnings. The first warning was that when visitation comes to the corporate setting, which will happen when more individuals start walking in this, he said division will come because some of us will not be ready to go forward into this stage and resist it. The other warning he gives is that because of God's holiness, when visitation comes, judgment can also occur. God wants us to allow his Holy Spirit to bring holiness in us and judge ourselves so that we're not judged by him. In the book of Acts in chapter 5, we see this happening with Ananias and Sapphira. They were walking in this, and because they came and they lied to the Spirit of God, they were judged. As revelation and visitation of the Lord increases individually, the corporate meeting of believers will become more powerful. We'll see the anointing of God increase to extreme levels, and we'll see answers to prayers. We'll see miracles. We'll see signs and wonders. And the source of this power is unity. We need to have an understanding of this. We need communion. We need unity and fellowship, and we need to guard it. The next stage that we will get to is habitation. And this is only possible when God's people set themselves apart and allow the fear of the Lord to complete the work of holiness in their life. This process takes time, and it's only possible with the blood of Jesus. What happens and what this looks like is God's favor overshadowing you, the Holy Spirit working mightily through you, unsaved people being able to see that God is with you 
and them giving their life to Jesus because of it. The fear of the Lord will actually be revealed to unbelievers, and every need will be met. I don't think we realize how much we have in our own possession that fits the need of someone else. Within this room, God could meet every need. But we're so disjointed, disconnected, not tuned in to our brothers and our sisters to know their need. Many of us have the heart to give. If I knew my brother and sister needed a washer and a dryer, I'd give it. But a lot of times we don't even know. And some of it's just pride. Not saying we have a need. God's calling us to a place where he meets our needs. And it's going to be through each other. Because we're family. As believers move into habitation together in unity, we will see the greatest move of God on the earth, where the glory of God will cover this earth, and there will be harvest, people coming to know God like we have never seen before. And all of this needs to happen and will happen before Jesus comes again. Studying this, I began to see when Jesus set aside his divinity and came to earth as a man, he had to go through these same phases of relationship with the Father. We see glimpses in scripture about him as a 12-year-old studying the scripture, spending time with the, in the Father's house and growing his, in his maturity and wisdom. And as a 30-year-old, we see him walking in visitation after his baptism with the Holy Spirit. And then he spends 40 days set apart in the wilderness, tempted in every way. But he leaves the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is habitation. He's showing us how to live in this life as men and women in right relationship with God, not as God visiting the earth. This is how we're supposed to live. And this is what God is calling us to next. I know it's a big adjustment. Your mind is trying to adjust. But the Holy Spirit wants to begin to adjust your reference, to get your mind ready. We are not to be Heidi Hold at home right now. We are called to greater things. The body of Christ should be the most powerful entity in the world. And it will be when we are united.
I want to go to John 17. Don't yell at me. I talked to God, and I said, what scriptures do you want? He said the whole chapter. <laughs> okay, so we're going to read the whole chapter. This is a really, he started talking to me about this. This is important. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was his last prayer he prayed before he went to go give his life. Don't you want to know what he prayed about? I want you, as we're going through this, to start paying attention to how much he prayed about unity in the body and the importance he put on it. But I also want you to pick up on his prayer showed how he was just walking in obedience with the Father and how his prayer could really be our prayer. Father, the time has come. Unveil the glorious splendor of your Son so that I will magnify your glory. You have already given me authority over all people so that I may give the gift of eternal life to those you have given me. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son you sent. And I have glorified you on the earth by faithfully doing everything you've told me to do. So, my Father, restore me back to my glory that we shared together when we were face to face before the universe was created. He gave, he set aside his glory when he came. Father, I have manifested who you really are, and I have revealed you to men and women that you gave to me. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have fastened your word firmly in their hearts. And now, at last, they know that everything I have is a gift from you. And the very words you gave me to speak, I pass them on to them. And they've received your words and carry them in their hearts. They are convinced that I have come from your presence. And they have fully believed that you sent me to represent you. God started to show me that could easily be our own prayer. Every day, we should be sitting in his presence. Every morning, I sit before the face of my father, and I let him father me. And then I go, and I live my life, and I encounter other people, and I know they see God in me, and they see that I have spent time before the presence of God, and God gives me words for them, and some of them receive them. Are we not called to the same thing? So with deep love, I pray for my disciples. 
I'm not asking on behalf of the unbelieving world, but for those who belong to you, those you gave to me. For all those who belong to me now belong to you, and all who belong to you now belong to me as well. And my glory is revealed through their surrendered lives. In the last days, which are not tomorrow, but they are coming, in habitation, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed to the world. How do you think that's going to happen? It's going to be through us, church, through those of us who surrender our life. That means being interruptible. That means I'm going to Walmart, and I got a call, and I need to go be with someone else right now. That means I just saw someone on the side of the road, and Holy Spirit told me to stop, but I have a meeting I have to get to. But I'm going to be obedient to the Father, and I'm going to see him move. And maybe that person will come to know the love of God. That means we need to be obedient in all things and set our own agenda aside. Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return to be with you, but my disciples will remain here. So I ask that by the power of your name, protect each one that you have given me and watch over them so that they will be united as one, even as we are one. While I was with these that you have given me, I kept them safe by your name that you've given me. Not one of them is lost except for the one that was destined to be lost so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I'm returning to you, Father. So I pray that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. I have given them your message, and that is why the unbelieving world hates them. For their allegiance or alliance is no longer to the world because I'm not of this world. I'm not asking that you remove them from the world, but I ask that you guard their hearts from evil. Many people are riding it out right now just hoping Jesus will come, hiding in their homes. That is not what we're called to. We're called to be set apart, that's for sure, but it is not a part in our home alone. For they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. And let's make sure our allegiance is to our Father more than anything else, more than a political persuasion, more than anything. Your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. This is the revelation phase he's talking about. This is where you dive into the word and you become holy as he sets you apart. And he says, I've commissioned them to represent me. 
just as you commission me to represent you. And now I dedicate myself to them as a holy sacrifice so that they will live as fully dedicated to God and be made holy by your truth. This is talking about visitation and then habitation. Okay? We go out to represent the Father to the world. And then because of the blood of Jesus, we can actually be fully dedicated to God and made holy by his truth. And not only for these disciples, but for all those who will one day believe in me through their message, I pray for them all to be joined together as one. Even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us. But I want you to see, church, he prays for us to be one first. For us to be one with the Father, we have to first be one ourselves. He prays for that first. So that, why do we become one with the Father? So that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I've given to them. Why? So that they will be together, joined as one, and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them. Why? So that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you sent me. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. That's what the world will see when we are one. Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you've given to me to be where I am. Where was he physically? He was about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and be put on a cross. But he was talking about heaven. Everybody knows that. I want them to be where I am. Jesus spoke from the Spirit because his Spirit was in heaven with the Father. And he said, I want them to be where I am. We can be living from heaven here on the earth. And that's what he's calling us to. Then they'll see my full glory. When do we glorify the Father? Glorify Jesus? When we live a surrendered life. But we live from the reality of what's been done in heaven already. The very splendor that you've placed upon me. Because you've loved me before the beginning of time. And he's loved you from the beginning of time. You are my righteous father, but the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. And all those who believe in me also know that you sent me. And I have revealed to them who you are. 
and I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they will experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them, even as I live in them. I needed to show all of that to you and lay that foundation to share what God showed me about 40 days ago. And that's in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 19. Now on this matter, I wish I could commend you, but I cannot. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Because when you meet together as a church family, it's doing more harm than good. I've been told many times that when you meet as a congregation, divisions and cliques emerge, and to some extent, this doesn't surprise me. Differences of opinion are unavoidable, yet they will reveal which ones among you truly have God's approval. This is the Passion Translation, which I love. And in the footnotes, he says, differences of opinion between believers will expose our hearts. Mature ones will overlook offenses and faults in order to maintain the precious unity of the body of Christ. Immature ones will cause splits and division around their respective opinions. The ones whom God approves are those whose hearts remain pure in spite of petty differences. He goes on in verse 28, and he says, so let each individual first evaluate his own attitude, and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. Now, if you've been in church long enough, we talk about recognizing the body. And I always hear it preached that we've got to discern the physical body of Christ and how he suffered so that we could be made whole physically and emotionally. And that's all true. It's 100% true. But he also is so much deeper. He has more meanings than one. And he's talking about the body of Christ and how we need to value each individual Christian in the body. And what does it mean, the wrong spirit? This could be a spirit of judgment. It could be elevating ourselves or our own opinions above others. It could be pride, division, strife, assuming the worst about others unforgiveness or bitterness. He says this insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. Now God does not strike us with these things as punishment. Rather, these things are the fruit of the things that have been sown in our hearts by the wrong spirit. 
it allows the enemy an open door to our life. The fruit of the flesh, and all those things are flesh, pride, bitterness, unforgiveness, the fruit of that seed is death. The fruit of the Spirit is life. And God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. So let's make sure that we are sowing in the right spirit. And that when we come together as a body, our hearts are right before God. If you do not sit in judgment of others, he goes on to say, you will avoid judgment yourself. But when we are judged, it's the Lord's training so that we will not be condemned with the world. Paul is talking about judging one's self here. So we will not be judged by God. And this happens as we grow into that visitation stage of our relationship with the Father. We need to understand that we do not see the hearts of men. We do not know them. Don't be deceived into thinking by your natural eye you can know the heart of another. We cannot fall into the trap of offense. We need to understand that the Father's love sees past all of these things. And we cannot fall into the trap of thinking that we are not essential to the body. I know the enemy has been very busy with many of these lies as of late. And I have been visited by him too. Do not be deceived into thinking that I am not tempted in the same way you are. I know I had spent time away from church enjoying good things, going up north, getting away from masks and all that other stuff. And the thought came into my mind, nobody will even notice that I'm not there. What supply do I bring, really? And then the Lord convicted me, as he always does, a good father would. And I came back, and do you know, I think three people came up to me that day. I were like, I'm so grateful you are here. I've been missing you. You bring something to the church when you come. I just felt like it was a dagger going in my heart. Oh, 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 God, Father, I know. I'm listening, I'm listening. He corrects, but he wanted to show me, no, you are vital. And when you're gone, a part of the body's gone. And we all suffer. We all suffer because of it. In Hebrews 10, 24, he says, discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently eager to encourage and urge each other onward 
as we anticipate that day dawning. In the Amplified, it says, let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Do you all see the day of Christ's return approaching? I do. And if you have any discernment at all, you see it too. And are we supposed to be home? Or are we supposed to be coming together all the more now? We are weak when we are alone. We are strong when we are together. And when we are off, because the enemy has come to tempt us with weird thinking, we are to help each other get back on track. This is not the time to be lukewarm. Make sure that you know the spirit behind everything you say, everything you think, and everything you do. If you are not at church, or you have been pulling back from the things of God that he has called you to in the body, ask yourself, why? Is it fear? Fear is not from God. Is it offense? Is it lukewarmness? Is it any other crazy idea you have that you think you heard from God? It needs to rightly be judged against the word. That is the only way we are going to survive. The only way we are going to stay on track is if we judge everything from the truth. And if this is not your truth yet, you are going to flounder. This is the only foundation that is going to keep you standing. There are a lot of people right now with the right heart but have been led astray by the wrong spirit. There are many who have come to know Jesus in the last few years and have felt his call on their heart. And they may even watch online, but they've never stepped foot in a church. And God is calling you to more. He's calling you to a family, a family you can touch, pray with, cry with, encourage and be encouraged by. There is no greater joy in this life than the satisfaction you can find in serving others in the place that God has called you to be. And we all have gifts from God. If you hear anything otherwise, it is the enemy. We all have gifts from God. And we bring those together to the table as a family. And when everyone is not here, we all suffer. 
and the body of Christ everywhere. This message is not just for Love Church. It is for the whole body of Christ. The body of Christ is suffering right now because the Father, because we're not together, and the Father is calling us home. He's calling us to be who he's called us to be and where he's called us to be. Laura, I don't know where my dear Laura is. Is she around? There you are. You moved chairs. I wanted Laura to, you can come on up. Laura, talk about gifts. She has a gift that God has given her. She plays the violin beautifully and prophetically. The Holy Spirit just spills a song out. And I wanted to take time now. God showed me he wanted time set apart for him for us to pray and engage with the Holy Spirit and allow him to speak to us and allow us a chance to respond to what he's saying. And we'll be taking communion as a family in a few minutes. And this is our opportunity to repent in areas we need to and to make sure we get our hearts right before God. And he's asking us to recommit our hearts to him by recommitting to the family of God. He wants to move individually and corporately from revelation to visitation and then to habitation. And unity is the key to this next move of God. So let's pursue it, church. And let's cherish it. And let's guard it. So media, if we could just, I want to create just an atmosphere of prayer. And I want to pray. And I want us all to pray. Holy Father, I pray that you would speak to us. That you'd move among us. That you'd release your spirit of revelation, of repentance, of your love, and that you would expand our capacity to embrace, to understand, and to walk in unity and your love. Amen.